like most people are taller than me. I really want to say welcome to Gabriel. Welcome. All the way from Portugal. Good to see you. Welcome Gerard, all the way from the UK. Good to see you. Welcome Andrew and your wife, all the way from the Cayman Islands. Good to see you. Wow. Some friends from the past. Blast from the past. James and Marika, I, I, I have to tell you, when you were up here with Alex, it reminded me of my firstborn in the church in Durban. And I remember one day she was very, very restless. And we tried to calm her down and tried to calm her down and tried to calm her down. And she was just restless. So I picked her up and put her over my shoulder. She was a little bit older than Alex. Put her over my shoulder and I walked out the back of the church. And she screamed over my shoulder, you all better pray for me. Time's coming. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we look into your word now, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, if there are things that we need to lay aside, if there are things, Lord, that we need to readjust, Lord, in the places, Lord, where we need to refocus and change our attention, and Lord, if there are things, Lord, that we need to cast off, Stuff from the past. Help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to see truth today. Help us to recognize the lies of the enemy and to see truth. And to see us, ourselves, as you see us. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last couple of months, I've heard from numerous people, old and young, some of these comments. In fact, all of these comments. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm an idiot. I'm dumb. I'm deficient. I became so confused by expectations placed on me that I lost who I am. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm useless. I'm unlovable. Nobody cares about me. I don't fit in. I'm unworthy of God's love because of my sin. And I'm certainly not worthy of other people's time. I don't know why I cannot actually love God and obey Him. I feel like I'm always falling short and disappointing Him. But maybe because of my strict religious background. My sinful past has such an impact on my present relationship with Jesus. Wow. From different people made me realize that some of us struggle with identity, who we really are, and how God sees us. Very essence of all of those remarks, from young and old, based on identity. Broad definition of identity is this. Your identity is what you believe to be true about yourself at the deepest core of your being. So there's a myriad reasons why we behave and think like we do. We are products of the past in some ways. We're going to unpack some of those reasons then discover better ways of thinking. Have a look at the following pictures. Okay, you've seen people do this, right? You've seen it, right? Yes? Hello? Okay, what are your responses? So there's reasons for why they do this. What is your response? You could have the philosophical response. 
Surely this driver has a deprived childhood without crayons and coloring books. I've actually, I was telling Roland earlier, I actually at one point in time drove around with crayons and torn out pages of coloring books in my car so that I could put them on the windscreen. Don't judge me. You did already. You could be the conformist. Well, if he parks like that, so will I. Or you could be the caring response. Maybe the driver had an emergency, didn't have time to correct very coincidental that all three of those were at waterfront at the same time on the same day. All had emergencies. Maybe. Or maybe you could be like the teacher who says, "Um, let me get my crayon or my chalk and go and draw some other lines for them and then draw some arrows so that they know where to park the next time because that's what teachers do. Or you could just be neutral. Come park in another place. How many of you do that? You all have to in another place because they've taken up that space. Or you could be mildly irritated. What a thoughtless driver. And go and park somewhere else. Or you could be like this. What the? What kind of parks like this? Okay, you laughed. That means it's probably your response. So all of those drivers had reasons for parking like they did. Whether it was just because they're arrogant and drive a 4x4 in a smart car, or whether it's because they were in a hurry, or whether it's because it was an emergency, or what, they all had reasons for parking like that. And we all have reasons for reacting and responding the way we do. So we all have reasons for behaving in the way we do, right? And thinking the way we do. Positive factors, negative factors. It's the same with us, not just about parking. It's the same with us in daily life. We have reasons why we respond and react and think and behave the way we do. And I want to unpack a few of those. One of them is family, uh, is physical features. Physical features. A family member of mine um, hated her nose. She spent her entire life thinking, I wish I could have a nose operation and just reshape this bulb that was in the front of her face. Or what about the person with the awkward birthmark or the extra tall girl who always wears flats? Uh, And if I gave more examples, you probably think I was trying to pick on you. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But there are physical features as to why we think and behave the way we do. Value systems. Our value systems will determine how we react and how we respond. In the Philippines, there's a value system called Bahalana. Everything is up to lady luck. So if, if you go to a surgeon for heart operation... And the surgeon doesn't think you're going to make it. Well, come see, come sa. In fact, we had a friend when we were in the Philippines who had a massive scar down his chest. He had had heart surgery, and the surgeon didn't think he was going to make it, so didn't sew him up. There was a value system up to Lady Luck. Personality can affect the way we respond. What about the Joker? Always seeing a the funny side of things. Or what about the, um, the introvert? Quiet, you know, hidden away. Or the extrovert. Or the super serious person. Or the skeptic. Our personality affects the way we think and the way we respond. Sometimes our careers do that. Um, I referred to teachers earlier. Sandra and I were both teachers. And we found that 
the way we responded in situations was very often with the mindset of a teacher. Our kids said to us one day, we were on holiday, we were driving, traveling through the Karoo, and we were talking about this and talking about that, and look at this and look at that, and eventually they said, Mom, Dad, can we just enjoy the ride? And you know that engineers are very often analytical. They analyze everything. It's the way we respond. Our goals. Our goals will determine how we think and how we behave. There's a whole bunch of the young people in the church that are going down to the gym every day because they want to look like me. <laughs> Who laughed the loudest there? I'm going to see, I'll see you after you. Brad, I'll see you afterwards. So, but when we set serious goals for ourselves, it influences our thinking and our behavior. Our belief system, that deep-rooted belief system that we have, will determine our outlook. A friend of mine once said to me, when I co- confronted him, he was, he was living a life of sin, and I confronted him one day very gently, and he said to me, it's okay, I have an insurance policy, I accepted Jesus 20 years ago. I believe system. Our dreams and aspirations will determine that we give energy and, and attention to the things that, that, that we desire, the things that we are looking for. We even sacrifice social times, and sometimes even sacrifice food, because we have dreams and aspirations. The principles that we live by, um, will those core strengths that determine our behavior patterns. I had a principle when I was at school. Now, we all have principles at school, but I had a, a personal principle, a life choice that I made that I will never do homework. So my principle met, meant that I met the principle quite regularly. In fact, every single day when I arrived at school, I would go to the principal's office, stand outside, I would wait for him to arrive in his car. If it was a bad day and he had a lot of traffic, I got four canes. If it was a good day and he was feeling kind, I got three. Some days he just was just angry about whatever and I got five or six. Those were the days when you could. So, so those principles had an effect. They affected my behavior. My principle affected my behavior, my attitude. It also affected my buttocks. That's a negative principle, but positive principles have better results. Our talents, the things that we love to do, our talents and the giftings that we have, like the roadrunner or the artist or the gymnast or the musician, will determine how we think, what we spend time in. And then probably one of the biggest ones is our background. You know, the whole nature versus nurture debate rages on. Nature is what people think as pre-wiring and is influenced by genetic inheritance or other biological factors. Nurture is generally taken as the influence of external factors after conception, for example, the product of exposure or experience and learning on an individual. It's a huge one. Negative words that have been spoken over us by parents or teachers or people in authority can last a lifetime. And sometimes they become self-fulfilling prophecies in our lives. Teens who grew up with an aggression, with aggression as a normal response to strife, will respond with aggression. Abuse, neglect, disinterest in the home are all influences that will affect behavior and thinking. But, listen to how the psalmist sees God and how he speaks to God in Psalm 139. James, you read some of it this morning. For you formed my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, 
for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and I know this well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, God, saw my unformed body. All my days were written in your book and ordained for me before one of them came to be. God was there. We have background, we have history, we have stuff that we work through, but God was there in the beginning. That's truth. He has a different set of influences for us. We have all these other influences. He has a different set. Then why do we feel the way we do about ourselves sometimes? Why do those people that I was referring to earlier, why do they respond in the way they do? I want to share three things that I believe limit us in that. Number one is our view, our understanding of God. If we believe that God no longer moves by His Spirit and power today, then we limit His work and His grace in us and through us. If we have no understanding of Him him at work today, He is still God. He is still the one who created the universe. He is still the, the omnipotent one. If we don't understand that, then we don't understand His work in our lives at this point in time. Ephesians, 3, Ephesians 1, three says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, listen, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is still the same. He is still doing what he was doing then. He chooses to use his body, the church, you and me, and he sees value in us. And if he sees value in us, then we should see value in us. God is the great I am who I am in Exodus 3. He is Jehovah. He's everything we need him to be when we need him to be it. He's the master of the universe. He's creator. He's the sustainer of all things. Genesis 18 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? In our limited understanding... And our perspective of who God is, we develop barriers that limit him working in us and through us. The second one is our view of ourselves, or sorry, our view of others and how others view us. How we think others view us. We compare ourselves. We compare ourselves to others all the time. We either see ourselves as inferior or we see ourselves sometimes as superior. And those result in deep feelings of either inadequacy or fear of man or even arrogance and superiority. And each of those, whether it's inadequacy or whether it's fear of man or whether it's superiority and and, um, arrogance, each of those put barriers on what we can do by saying that we are not like that person or I'm not like that person. We're comparing ourselves with others. In Philippians 2 verse 3 it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In Romans 12 verse 3, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment. I love the corollary of do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. For me, the corollary of that is think of yourself as highly as you ought. Think of yourself the way God sees you. And then the third one is our view of ourselves. We're often reminded of words that have been spoken us in the past. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you do anything right? Well, you're not what I was expecting. You've disappointed me. Parents, teachers, influential leaders sometimes foolishly speak words over us that that become those self-fulfilling prophecies or invisible barriers that limit us from trusting God to work in us and through us powerfully. And sometimes those words are deliberately berating. I shared this morning just a personal story. My wife Sandra, my late wife, um, when she was 16, 17 years old, her father said to her, um, when I come home from work this afternoon, I want you to be out of the house. I'm tired of you. I didn't want you in the first place. I wanted a boy. I didn't want a girl. I've lived with you all this time. I've put up with you. Make sure by the time you get home this afternoon, I get home, that you're not here. That was two weeks before she wrote him a trick. So she walked down the road with a suitcase in her hand, not knowing where she was going to go. Those words affected her for years, for years, until she began to understand who God saw her, how he saw her, what he saw in her, the value that she had in him. Christ in her and her in Christ. If we don't understand the magnitude of God's love for us, the miracle of his plan for us, then we thwart the manifesting of his power in us. Let me say that again. If we don't understand the magnitude of God's love for us and the miracle of his plan for us, we thwart the manifesting of his power in us. Here's some truth. Romans 11 verse 36 says this, For from him and through him are all things. To him be glory forever. Acts 17, In him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. We are not separate from him. If we love him and he loves us, if we've given our hearts and our lives to him, if we're following him, we are in him. And we live and move in him. For indeed we are his offspring. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Ephesians 1. I ask that the eyes of your heart, I ask that your understanding may be enlightened, says Paul, so that you may know the hope of his calling, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And you may know the surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, far above power and dominion, and far above every name that is named, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God put everything under his feet and made him, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. 
He put everything under Jesus' feet. We are Jesus' body. Therefore, everything is under our feet. Even the things of the past, even the things, those influences that have affected us are under his feet. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10 says this, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of a disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he had for us, and even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised up with him. Seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace we've been saved by by faith. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We need to be reflecting on these truths. Because these truths and an understanding that Christ is in us and we are in Christ will, will be the influences for us as we walk our journey with him. I want to just highlight a couple more things that the scripture talks about. Just who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. We are reconciled to God and we are instruments of reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away, the new has come. Then why do we live in the, in the history? Why do we live in our past? Why do we live in the things that influenced us before? Because if we are new in him, we are new. I'm reminded of the lepers. Remember the ten lepers who came to Jesus? And he healed all ten of them. And they went away. Only one came back. The one came back because he appreciated. He knew what had happened. He knew what had taken place. And sometimes we are like the nine lepers. We have the healing. We have the restoration. We, we have the wholeness that is promised to us but we don't really appreciate it. So that one leper came back and he said thank you. He valued what had happened. And sometimes we forget what God has actually done for us. We have been brought near, Ephesians 2 verse 13. In Christ Jesus you were once far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been given access to the Father. For through him now we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I love the, the, the concept of the understanding of adoption in the scriptures. Romans 8 verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to, bore, to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're children of God. 1 John. We are God's children now. 
and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And because we are children, we are heirs. In Galatians 4, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We're accepted. Ephesians 1, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the will, the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then we're forgiven. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. We're objects of his love. Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had for us. We're objects of his grace in Romans 5. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then we're objects of his power. Ephesians 1, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And we're object of his faithfulness. In Hebrews 13, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we're members of God's household. In Ephesians 2, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So I ask the question this morning, who are you? In Christ. And who is Christ in you? Who am I? And who is he in me? Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not who I used to be because of who he is. 1 John, whoever keeps my commandments abides in God. Listen to this. And God abides in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. If it were not for Christ, I could not be standing here. I'm a shy, timid person. Most people don't believe that, but it's only by the grace of God. I'm the kind of person who many years ago had fear of man. If I, if I was talking to somebody who was significant or important, I wouldn't even put my hand up and ask the teacher a question at school because I was shy. I felt timid, but by the grace of God. When I spoke to people who were in business, you know, top businessmen, executives, I always felt inferior and, and, and like, like I wasn't good enough. I had nothing to add to the con conversation. But God. But God. Who are you in Christ? And who is Christ in you? There was an amazing prayer that was in the bulletin this week. I hope you got it. But it's on the screen. I want us just to take some time just to read through. Um, Craig will scroll us into the next page. Unfortunately, it wouldn't all fit on the same page. He'll scroll us through to the next page. I, w I would love us just to read through that prayer and just 
meditate on it. Just take some time, just quietly, just to, to allow that prayer to become your prayer. And then we're going to stand and say that prayer together. Let's stand in response. If those words mean anything to you, and you just say them out loud together with me as I read it through. Lord, I pray that you would unlock my heart, that I might be fully alive to my true identity in you. Give me clear vision to see myself the way you see me. Help me to stand in your truth against all enemy attacks and guard my heart with all vigilance. Help me to identify the lies and reveal to me any places where I am chained to the past in a negative way. Teach me to hear your voice and not believe the enemy's destructive lies about who I am. I thank you for my uniqueness and that I am made in your image. I want to understand and feel the deep things in your heart for me. I choose to believe the truth about how you see me. I thank you that I can hope in the future and believe in your vision for my future. Help me to live a fruitful life now and overflow with your love to others. Give me greater authority in my prayer life. I want to know you on a deeper level and I don't want anything to hinder my relationship with you. Thank you for the new identity I have in you. Help me to live out this truth in my life every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray together. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you that you have redeemed us. You have changed us. Our lives are not the same. And Lord, where we've been living in the lives of the past, we pray, Lord, help us to live in the hope of the future. Lord, may we have a better understanding of who you are. May we have a a better understanding, Lord, of how you see us. May we have a better understanding, Lord, of your incredible love and passion and tenderness towards us. And Lord, may we respond in that in in a way, Lord, that honors you and reflects what you've done as we walk out our daily lives. Lord, we need you. We have great need of you. Holy Spirit, we pray, fill us. Fill us anew that we can be the full blessing of the gospel of Christ wherever we go. We ask in your precious name. Amen. Amen. May Lord bless you. Go and have some coffee and fellowship. Just talk about the good things of God. Amen.